0: Welcome to another installment of Not Your Puppies Podcast. I'm your host for the night, Carmen.
1: And Laura, how are you doing today, Carmen?
0: I'm doing good. Um, I'm very tired. Um, it was a very long weekend. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I used to think that hangovers would never do anything to me, but no, yeah, they are starting to affect my everyday life. I should probably start considering, yeah you now, taking breaks, so... <laughs> that is how I'm feeling today. How are you? I'm doing um what the fuck? I'm doing the same dude. This weekend was uh very eventful for
1: me. I unlike me, I guess since like COVID started, right? Because once COVID started, like I just like hightailed it, hid myself from the world. Um, and this weekend was like the first time I went out. I went out Friday. I went out Saturday and Sunday. I had some family stuff going on. And honestly, like yesterday and today, because um, we we're recording on a Tuesday and today, I, I still feel like a zombie. I feel like, like I didn't even, I'm not even drinking right now. I literally, I told my sister, I was like, I'm feeling tired. My stomach hurts. And she's like, drink
0: some tea. And that's literally what I'm drinking right now. I think that's smart. Um I think also, like, because of the pandemic, you work from home, I work from home, Mm -hmm. so we're just home all day. Anytime I go out and step out into the real world, whether it's family, friends, it doesn't matter who, I, if it's not like my immediate people, I'm already like, it's too much. My sensories, I feel like, no, it's too loud, it's too this, I don't know, it could be age, it could be the pandemic, whatever it is, I know I'm exhausted, so... But I'm happy to be here.
1: I know. And, and you know what? The funny thing is, is, like, back when we first met each other, um, Carmen and yo eramos parranderas. Eramos parranderas. Like, we loved going out. And nowadays, we're like homebodies. We're like, let's get together and do something. And Carmen's like, yeah, come over to my house. We'll have... un cafecito. We'll make breakfast. Like, we're such homebodies. Like, in the last couple of years, like, we've done a 180.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I call it my senora life right now. Like, I am living that senora life. I just want to be home. And then I work from home, and then I'm like, "Mm, I don't want to do anything because I'm already, like, home. And then it's my day off. I'm like, I just want to clean my home. So I don't want to leave my house. I just stay home. So I can, like, literally go days and days and days and up to, like, over weeks without leaving my house, and I'm completely okay with that. So... Yeah, seriously, um
1: same. I think the only the only reason I ever leave my house is cuz I am forced to cuz I need to like buy groceries or um drop the kids off at school and maybe once in a while like visit my cousin, but besides that, I love to stay home and actually just like the thought of like having to get ready And like put on like this whole persona for other people to enjoy is just not in my agenda anymore. Like it has no place in my agenda anymore.
0: remember when we did that 30 day challenge without any makeup and it was like the most stressful time of our lives because it's like, I mean, dude, I used to beat my face with just like makeup, lipstick, eyeliner, everything. And then I was like, maybe let our pores breathe. Let's let our skin do its thing and blah, blah, blah and be natural. And, and now i'm just like bitch i've been natural for like two years going on yeah. to two years now and my skin looks exactly the same thing there is no benefits of like
1: no wearing makeup. let me tell you so when the pandemic started um i uh i was having like I've, I've always struggled with my skin since i since i was like in high school like right around the time i was like 16, 17 ish. Like I just started breaking out like crazy, crazy breaking out. And I've struggled with that. Like through like all of my teenage years, my adult life, as far as I can remember, I've struggled with acne. And when the pandemic started, um, I finally decided to freaking go see a dermatologist. I'm like, if I have one chance to fix my skin, it's going to be now when nobody's freaking seeing me. Right. So I went to a dermatologist, I got prescribed Accutane. So if anybody who's ever suffered from acne, you know, Accutane is like that last resort when your acne is so, so goddamn bad. And because of Accutane, it, it would dry, it dried out my skin, it dried out my lips to the point where my lips were peeling off. Like I got pictures, dude. It's the grossest thing ever. My eyes would hurt. I would have to add, like, I put like the, t- the artificial tears in my eyes every morning, every night. My joints would hurt. My back would hurt. Like it was hell. But because of Accutane, I had to get on a really, really like um, moisturizing skincare routine. And um, back in, in, in Tampa, by uh, one of my coworkers, Laura, she introduced me to Korean skincare. And Koreans have this idea of of beauty where to them, it's all about moisturizing the skin to keep it youthful, to keep it very lively, very bouncy, very full. And so she, she got me hooked on that. And because of Accutane, I had to do like redo, throw away all of like these products I had get on this Korean skincare. And let me tell you that between Accutane and Korean skincare is a best fucking thing that's ever happened to me. And no, this is not an ad for neither Korean skincare or Accutane, but I have to say that being makeup less has been the best thing to happen to me. Cause now I go out and I'm so happy of my skin. Like I love yeah,
0: it. That's awesome. And I know a lot of people suffer from, from acne and it can almost cause like some type of like body dysmorphia or, you know, image issues. So thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, I I remember you telling me going through the process and I could just, you know, empathize with you because I also knew like that sadness and almost like low key depression of having to get to that, make that decision of, of having to put your skin and yourself through that journey. So yeah, Yeah.
1: it was a bitch, but you know, everything's a blessing in disguise. Um, And this weekend was a blessing. um, And now we have to wear a disguise, which is why we're hiding out in our homes for the rest of the week. Yeah,
0: I'm not going out. I'm not leaving my house for a week, a month, a month, a month. And and, and no, and dude, and it's the we're coming up to the holidays, and like now I have to see my family. If not, I'm
1: worse. I I cannot be the only one dreading Thanksgiving and Christmas because I feel like. When I was young, it was so exciting, looking up to Christmas, getting gifts, Santa Claus, blah, blah, blah. Now I feel like it's a fucking deadline. Like if I don't have everybody's gifts by this one day, I'm gonna be a total fucking failure in life.
0: You know, my mom this year, she, uh she made the decision. It was so awkward. It wasn't even Halloween yet. And my mom sends a mass text message to the entire family. This holiday, please don't get me anything. I don't want anything because I'm not going to give gifts. And I don't know how the family was, like felt that message, but I felt that moment of like, mom, like, wait until the holidays, at least like wait until we get close. But now I think about it. I'm like, you know what? It, it takes that one less stress. Getting my mother something for the holidays has always been like difficult so it just takes, it relieves that one stress. I don't ever feel like the holiday depressions or that holiday pressure or anything like that. Like I just do me and, you know, if you like it, cool. If you don't like my present, whatever, I still thought about you. And that's how I receive my presents. And I think, yeah. I like to think that I'm an easy gift giver and an easy receiver of gifts. So I don't let things like that stress me out.
1: I'm like, yeah. Oh.
0: Family is cool, whatever. They annoy me, but I like them. Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, whenever people ask me, and, and even you, when you were making your trip to Mexico, you're like, que te I'm like, anything that reminds me of you of me. So if something reminds you of me, that's what I want you to give me because that lets me know that it's special. Like, I don't want you to go, to, to go out of your way to like think all this like crazy stuff. If it's hard to think of, then it's not for me. I want you to get me something that thinks of of. Makes you think of me. Where did and I get that, you? Me, you got me those earrings. Remember those
0: handmade earrings that I actually wore this weekend? They're my post. That's why I'm kind of showing it off. Oh. Oh, okay. I have to relook at your pictures then from this weekend. I'm am, I, I am a forgetful person. So blame it on the ADHD. So yeah.
1: but with that oh. being said, um, for those of you that don't know now, you know, this is not your Poppies podcast where uh, Carmen and I love to talk about our lives, love to talk about chingo woman, gossip, drink, our teas today because we're tired. Um, and if you like it and you enjoy it, please feel free to share with your family, your friends. Remember we're available on Spotify, Apple podcast. We have our Instagram page where we love to interact with our listeners as well as our Twitter Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and we thank you guys so much for all the support you've been showing us. Like, honestly, this has been so much fun to actually know that people love to hear us talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. We make it really easy for you guys, that you know, want to listen. We make it super easy. You guys are, we're everywhere. And like Laura said, right. We are very, we love to interact with you guys. So let us know. Instagram seems like that's where the shits is at. And I love it. I love listening or seeing all of your guys's responses. So more of that please right you ready yeah.
1: yes and actually with that i'm gonna lead into if you ever have a specific person you want us to talk tell a story about please feel free to uh, send us an email at notyourpoppiespodcast at gmail.com all right so i promise you we do read them we go through all of these we might not get to your story right away but, but please please send it in um and with that being said I'm actually going to be talking about um, a lady, una chingona, una mamacita esas chingonas, that was
0: actually recommended by one of our listeners. Oh, yes. Okay. I am so down. Let's go.
1: Okay. All right. So, like I said, this lady is just, um, she's a literal badass. Like, I had never heard of her before. I started looking into her story and it, it was really, really hard because most of the places, they kind of seem to just have like summarized her into like, ah oh, you know, she was a revolutionary, blah, 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 blah. Like they didn't really put any like girth in their details. So it did take me um, a couple of uh, sources before I found two that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so the majority of my material is going to come from uh, Wikipedia and Yorker uh, cubannewyorker.wordpress.com. Okay. All right. So. With that being said, let me introduce you to Emilia Casanova de Villaverde. All right, Emilia was born in 1832 in in Cuba. Her parents were Cuban-born Inocencio Casanova and his wife, Petronia Rodriguez, who happened to be a native of the Canary Islands. Now, the family lived in Cárdenas, which is a city east of La Habana, Cuba, and they were an elite creole slave-holding family
0: and had 16 children. 16 kids, my God. Okay, so my funny story, my dad his mom had 24 children, 24 kids. Today only, I think there's only 15, 14 that are alive. But like, I'm just like, ¿cómo? How? Mira, es que eso es, esa es
1: una mujerona de las mujeronas que se hacían antes. Hoy en día, comadre, no se hacen así. No, no, es que ya no son igual. Ya no, son... No. no, ya no somos iguales. Valemos no. madre we pop out one two kids and we are like
0: (laughs) oh my god yeah we're cowards can't do it nope
1: you ain't seen 16 you know of those things popping out of here anytime soon Mm -mm. well emilia's mom was una una esas mamacitas chingonas emilia from um a very early age she She gave evidence to what some um, biographers said, a willful character. So, in other words, era mula, era mula. You know, she knew what she wanted, and from a very early age, she showed it. And her personality was matched by her appearance. So, by age 12, um, according to a biographer, her physical development was that of a young woman of 15 and her athleticism gave her a vigorous presence that matched her headstrong behavior. So based off of that quote alone, it seems like Emilia was maybe on the uh, more developed side of the spectrum. and. Um, A thing that benefited her was that also her mind was a little bit more mature, more ahead of her time. At least that's what I take from that quote. Um, Despite Emilia's affluent Creole upbringing, she didn't really agree with her dad on his political views. Her dad, you know, being a rich Creole from Cuba, um, was very conservative. And at the age of 18, It became her life's purpose to fight for the independence of Cuba from the Spaniards.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So this became the channel for her passion, her energy, and undoubtedly led to a huge headache for her dad, Inocencio, because, you know, he's conservative, he's rich, he's like, no, 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 que ver. But she's like, nope, we're fighting.
0: Mm, I mean, the name Inocencio tells you everything <laughs>
1: um so this is this is this is a part that actually like made me laugh. Um when she was younger, um her family had a, a banquet, right? They had like a little banquet with spanish ator- uh, authorities in attendance, you know? So you have some Spaniards there, and she, Emilia, decides to make a toast to Cuban freedom from Spanish colonial
0: power. So she's like fucking ballsy,
1: That's
0: mm-hmm. what yeah. I'm hearing.
1: Yep. There you go. Era una mamacita, cabrona, ella. She first traveled to the United States in 1852, along with her father and two brothers. And this trip gave her exposure to the Cuban exile community in New York, and further sparked her interest in the Cuban independence movement. So although Emilia considered staying in New York to kind of continue her education and learn more about the movement from the outside perspective, she decided to return to Cuba after only being in the United States for three months, because she had to go take care of her mom back at Cuba. And when she returned to Cuba, she had actually agreed to transport revolutionary documents on behalf of the exile community and she distributed them in Cuba. So she she, you know, she was like, she was in. She's like, you guys have this information that you want me to take back home. I'm gonna help you take it back home. And she did. She did. When she was 22, the Casanova family decided to move to Philadelphia where Emilia met and soon after married Cirilio Villaverde. So Cirilio was a Cuban poet and a novelist. His most notable work was uh, La Novela Cecilia Valdez. And in this novel, He exposed the complex nature of race and class relations embedded in Cuban society. Cirilo had been a politically active member of the Cuban exile community since his arrival in the United States in the 1840s. Now, Soon after they married, they decided to move uh, from Philadelphia to New York City, where they became very actively involved in the Cuban exile community's independence movement. So, Emilia and Cirilio had three children together, and throughout their lives, they remained really active in the New York emigre politics. Now, I want to know a difference. So, The reason why we say emigre and not immigrant politics is because an immigrant is defined as a person who comes to a country from another country in order to permanently settle while an emigre is one who has departed their native land often as a refugee. That's like the key thing. One immigrant is more like you want to go to another place and make that your permanent place of residency. And the other is more like you're forced. So uh, in 1866, they were involved in the creation of the Junta Republicana de Cuba y Puerto Rico, And in 1867, Emilia, anticipating the coming war for Cuba's independence, prevailed upon her father to liquidate his assets in Cuba and move permanently to New York. Her father, Inocencio, ended up buying the old Leggett Mansion on Oak Point in what is now known as the Hunts Point area in the Bronx. Now he ended up buying this mansion for $150,000 back then. And I actually did the whole um inflation calculation and all that good stuff. So in today's money he ended up paying 2 2.8 million or a little above 2.8 million for that mansion. And I believe that mansion is still standing to there. So if you guys are from New York or if you ever visit New York, you know, that might be a nice area or place to go visit, historical. Now, when the war for Cuban independence broke out the following year. Um, so, okay, so this is 1867, so 1868. So when the war for the Cuban independence broke out the following year, Emilia uh, threw herself basically into the task of organizing expeditions to take men and arms to the rebels in Cuba. So she ended up turning the house into a hotbed of militant activity in the New York area, and the mansion's vaults were converted into storehouses for guns, rifles, powder, and ammunition. And its relatively isolated location near the coast made it ideal for discreetly smuggling ordnance out of the East River or to the Long Island Sound for shipment to Goa. Yeah. So she was getting, you know, her people back home stocked up ready for that war. And during this time, like Emilia is busy making sure all of this manpower, arm power, gun power is reaching back home. She's also working really hard to build a social network within the Cuban exile community in New York. With this, uh, she actually started organizing public meetings, writing articles dedicated to the independence cause and hosting gatherings for at her home, for supporters of the Cuban Revolution. However, during this time, women were denied membership into political clubs. So in response to this, Emilia's like, you know what? Fuck your all men's club. I'm gonna create my own club. And she ended up creating an all women's club to increase her prominence and decision-making power among exile nationalists. On February 6th of 1869, Emilia founded La Liga de las Hijas de Cuba, a political organization for women fighting for Cuban independence. Fourteen Cuban and Puerto Rican women gathered at this initial meeting to discuss helping Cuban soldiers and to criticize the all-male independence organization, which was called Junta Revolucionaria de Cuba y Puerto Rico. Okay, so La Liga is for the woman and La Junta Revolucionaria is the all men's club. Now, the members of La Liga de las Hijas de Cuba were aware of the United States growing interest in controlling Caribbean nations and disapproved of the fact that La Junta Revolucionaria considered the United States an ally. They feared that this would move Cuba closer to annexation by the United States rather than emancipation. As president of La Liga de las Hijas de Cuba, Emilia condemned this all-male club for their annexationist maneuvers and betrayal of the independence movement. Okay, now... I want to note this difference. Emancipation means you're getting your independence from whoever is colonizing you at that moment, right? So the Spaniards have colonized Cuba. They're trying to, when they're in independence, and they're asking the U.S. for aid. But at this time, the U.S., um, being greedy, wasn't looking to really help Cuba gain its independence, but more instead of the Spaniards colonizing Cuba, they were like, oh, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to gain another territory, which is what annexation means. And mm-hmm. Which Is that what they did to Puerto Rico? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I believe Puerto Rico was actually um, a free country prior to like, us like taking over them. I'm not too sure. I'm not too educated on that aspect, but I'm pretty sure they were free
0: prior to us going in there. So anybody listening is an expert in Puerto Rican uh, history, please let us know and send us a message. Yes, please. And thank you.
1: We love to be educated on these topics. And okay, so La Liga de las Hijas de Cuba also raised funds to help sustain the elderly, the widows and orphans in New York who took refugee from the war in Cuba. Additionally, as a representative of La Liga, Emilia presented the merits of Cuban liberation before the U.S. Congress on numerous occasions. She was the first Cuban woman granted the right to address the United States Congress on this issue. When her father was imprisoned in La Habana during the Ten Years' War, she spoke with U.S. government officials, including President Grant, asking for protection. President Grant agreed to protect her father from the Spanish government and soon after, Emilia's father was released. In 1871, Emilia pleaded with the US government for assistance after learning that eight medical students at the Universidad de La Habana were being held hostage by Spanish authorities. In order to increase the international visibility of the Cuban emancipation struggle, she wrote to prominent European figures such as Giuseppe Garibaldi and Victor Hugo. In an 1869 letter to Giuseppe Garibaldi, Emilia stated her abolitionist views. So her husband, Cirilo, passed away in 1894. And when he passed away, she briefly traveled back to Cuba for his burial and decided to return to New York City to continue working for Cuban independence for the remainder of her life. So Emilia Casanova de Villa Verde remained staunchly involved in the fight for Cuban liberation until her death on March 4th, 1897. Her death in 1897 occurred just a year before the Spanish-American War in, 19, eight, in 1898, which actually resulted in Cuba's independence.
0: Mm-hmm. A bad bitch no one ever told us about. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so shout out to Adriana for uh, giving us that suggestion on Emilia. That was, yeah, a lady I had never heard about. And I'm like, why are we not
0: taught this? Why isn't this part of history? Never heard of her before. Wow. Thank you. That was a very, very great suggestion. And thank you, Lana, because that was a amazing rendition to her. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. I, I hope I did her justice. I know, uh, currently, and since the summer there's been going, um, a lot of political movement in Cuba right now, Cuba Libre, um, you know, because of the uh, what is it, the totalitarian government that they have over there? And uh and you and you know, if, if you guys are more educated in this, if if you are Cuban, Cuban descent, have family members that are going to this, um, you know, feel free to educate us, send us those emails, send us those DMs telling us about the thing because we really want to know about what's going on. And I felt like there, she is such a prominent figure and she did so much and yet we know nothing about her. And I feel that's kind of what's going on right now. It's like the media has totally kind of shut out what's going on with Cuba Libre, the fight for what's going on in Cuba right now. And um, and these are topics we really do need to have discussions, like open discussions about.
0: Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, fun little fact. I remember being in high school and my I, I had failed geometry multiple times in high school because I just don't get numbers. And I've always been like taught in English and math has always been a struggle for me. What was really funny is when I became a se- when I was a senior in high school, I changed high schools and um, there was no more room for me to get that geometry class. I'd have to wait another semester and that would just like postpone my graduation date. So they asked me, well, we do have this ESL class that's in um, an ESL ge- geometry class if you want to go. And I was like, I don't know how to I don't know numbers in English. I don't think I'd get them in Spanish. Bro, I took it cuz I had no other choice and I had never in my life understood numbers the way my Cuban teacher taught me. Um and it, it, and her passion and her the way she described numbers and it's so funny and to me it just always went back to that language aspect that that would that's been a part of my brain that I've never um that never gets exercised, not in Spanish. I didn't know I could learn in Spanish because um, it's a language that although I speak it, I'm not, although I am fluent in it, but I don't, I never thought I could learn in that way. So it's my only experience. I don't know what has anything to do with Cuba Libre, but... She was amazing. You know what?
1: <laughs> and I, I know exactly who you're talking about because uh, it's Miss Isis. Yeah. Miss Isis. Miss Isis. Shout out to Miss Isis. She was honestly one of the best math teachers, everything, ever. I struggle with math as well. And I took her class, she's fucking amazing. Um, I don't know if she still teaches there at that high school, but um, she was
0: fucking awesome. Man. Shout yeah. out to her. Yeah, absolutely. Miss Yeezy, so if you're listening to this, I'm sorry I'm cussing so much because she would get so mad when we'd cuss. Not me because I was a good kid, but the rest of the people. Todos los, otros, los malos ejemplos. Exactly, not us. All right, my friend. Well, are you ready to listen to my story tonight? Give it to me. Okay, so let me tell you a story of a woman who... I, I wanted to like reduce her, and all I can just reduce her if I in a couple of words would be sex, passion, and a spy. Have you ever heard about Matahari?
1: Um, no, but if this is a Netflix series,
0: please sign me up. You know what? I think they do have an Amazon series on her is what i was reading but i haven't seen it so um we'll check it out hopefully after the story um so um her birth name is margaretha zell she was born on august 7th 19, 1876 in the netherlands uh margaretha was the oldest of four children her father owned a hat shop He also made investments, he had tons of money, and he gave Margarita and her siblings a lavish early childhood. Um, She had exclusive schooling until the age of about 13. Um, Despite being a man of business, he ended up going bankrupt and left Margarita, her siblings, and mom for another woman, as men do. So, shortly after margarita's mom passes away she she dies and so that causes the family to be separated um margarita ends up going to live with her godfather and she goes at the age of 15 she's sent to school to become a kindergarten teacher well shortly after that she was removed from the school because margarita began having an affair with the headmaster there Yeah. So, so Margarita learns, right. And that was a moment that Margarita knows that she has something that men desire about her. She already has a set of vantage, her something about her sexuality, the way she moves, the way she looks and people would describe her as a, um, the orchid amongst dandelions. Sure, her skin tone was a little bit darker than everybody else. Her hair was dark and everybody was just blondes and blue eyes and she just really stood out. She looked very exotic. So um, Margarita goes back and lives with her um, godfather who ends up giving her to an uncle because she's too much. And at the age of 18, she responds to an ad. On the newspaper and it was an advertisement for um captain rudolph McCloyd. and uh captain rudolph was 22 years her senior and he was looking to marry now he was living in indonesia at the time so um margarita finds the ad they start exchanging letters and he grabs her and takes her to indonesia and marries her so there in indonesia she is overwhelmed by the culture, the 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 language, and it's there where she takes time to study. Um, she she learns English, French, um, Spanish. She speaks um, Indonesian, so she learns all these languages. She's really really freaking smart, and she also takes time to take these exotic dances so the belly dances she was very like um just the lavish right the culture and everything so she takes the time to take in take in um what the people are doing because her marriage life was garbage um rudolph was very open about having like he had a bunch of lovers which was accepted in indonesia but that just always like sat ill with her she's like what but despite all of that they have two children um uh, within like a year of each other so they have their two little kids but she was just like over him she's like i don't like this man he's a drunk he's disgusting and worst of all he gives her syphilis so oh no oh no oh yes oh yes and the syphilis actually happens even before she gives birth to the kids so the kids were actually born with syphilis and this is the late 1800s so as you know there's really no um there's treatment for it and the only treatment available is mercury and they end up giving so much mercury to one of the kids the um the youngest one and they both end up getting violently ill from the treatment but the i'm sorry the oldest son norman ends up dying and this just really triggers like something between both margarita and rudolph where they just can't not be together so she ends up moving back to the netherlands and takes her kid with her they um they officially separate in 1902 and Rudolph is required to give her child support, but just, he just never does because he's trash. And on one of the trips over, he's like, well, let me just take her out for ice cream. She's like, okay. He takes the kid, never comes back. And it was that moment where Maritha's like, I'm putting, I'm putting my kid through poverty. Like he could have been trash. He could have been the worst husband in the world, but he was always a great father. And I'm having to make that sacrifice that he is going to be in better hands with her dad than she currently is with me. So she makes that tough decision. I mean, I can't imagine doing that, but no shame. You know, sometimes you have to make those hard, hard decisions. Um, Jean ends up dying at age 21 from what is believed to have been complications from her infection from the syphilis. So, um, but we never really know. What we do know is that throughout this time between she going away, uh, Jean, to um, her end of her life, uh, Margarita would send money over to take care of her kid. So Margarita, after that, moves to Paris and she really struggles to make make, make and meet. She is beautiful though. So she starts posing as an artist for artists. And she does like all these um, little portraits, but it's still not enough money to get her um, to make enough money. So she ends up becoming an exotic dancer. She takes up this image of um, of being like Asian and exotic and kind of like gypsy. So she starts appropriating all these different cultures she's already um educated herself on. And she starts, well, she appropriates and exploits it to her benefit and starts dancing at brothels, um, with the name Marihara. So Marihara, um, is promiscuous. She's flirtatious and openly flaunts her body. She adorns her body with, um, she puts like little bustiers on and she does her little shows where she's taking all her clothes off. And um, one of the favorite um, dances that she does or one of her, their favorite shows is when she like strips piece by piece by piece, never exposes the breasts. All she does is expose like, se quita She shows like, the the cookie and everything but she never <laughs> takes off her bra hey, there, were... <laughs> there are priorities okay but like honestly if i were to show my tits or my mm, my baby jay which one would i show i would okay voting if you would prefer to
1: show your hoo-ha say i if you prefer to show
0: your uh you know, your, your tetas, <laughs> I. Mean, I <laughs> You would show your tetas. I mean, I, I, would, would, I would, I had to choose. I'm, I'm choosing nothing. I'm choosing what people actually think she did. And what she was actually doing was um, she was actually wearing like um bodysuits and that were her skin color. And so for on the stage, it would give the illusion that she was naked. But in reality, people, there were some reports that she actually never actually took her entire clothes off. We don't know, we don't remember. There are tons of pictures on the internet though that shows her pretty and ain't good. So whatever, you go girl. Um, so Marihara's just career just exploded. And for the next 10 years, she was the most um, the most desired woman in, in Paris, men would pay for her. Um, men would give her lavish gifts, would just do anything, anything for her. Not just any kind of men. Come on now. We'd have generals. We'd had politicians. We had, um, big fucking shots. This is an era in France. That's a very open and very, um, Sexually liberating, very artistic um time. This is right before World One. And we start seeing a decline in her career in about March uh, 1915. And all of it had to do because we start getting tensions with the World War One coming up. So we start losing people, we start, um, we start losing clientele and um. She ends she ends up receiving an invitation to go to Berlin, to dance in Berlin, and knowing where her career is going, she's like, well, I can't I can't miss this opportunity." And so she goes. But then it gets cancelled because Germany declares war to Russia. So she's like, all right, let me go back to Paris, but then she can't go to Paris because Germany declares war to France. So she's pretty much stuck in, in, in German and um, Marihara is there. She actually ends up going back to her town of her birth town and she could have just lived a quiet life there. But being Marihara and just she's a chingona, she starts dating this guy named Carl Kramer. And this guy is from the um, Kaiser, uh, Kaiser Secret Service. And gets to know Marihara. And after a few days, he starts realizing that this chick is from Paris, right? He's German, Paris, and they're kind of enemies. She speaks several languages. She has a neutral passport. And she, she is friends with very, very important people. So he ends up recruiting Marihara to spy on France and give her in exchange uh, 20,000 francs. Don't ask me, because I didn't do my research. I'm not as good as you how much that equates, but it sounds like it's a lot of money. Sorry, I'm going to expose my reality of not doing all my research. Um, But she accepts. And so begins the life of Agent H-21. Now, there's a legend of Marihara, and then there's the reality of Marihara. Um some people make her the rest of her story of it being a spy espionage who would like go and like sleep with all these different men and her story gets convoluted because she starts picking sides she gets caught um she they make her responsible for the death of 15,000 French soldiers so then France holds her accountable right but then the other story the other side of the story is actually pretty simple that nothing ever happened she did take the money but she took the money because she needs the money and because she also felt like when she was in germany they ended up stealing all her jewels and clothes and she was just like well fuck you i'm taking the money i'm going to tell you what you want to hear because that's who she was right and then just fucking bounce and that's what she did so she bounces she goes back to france go live her life in her fucking little club do what she does best but the only difference this time is that now she was being watched by the french very closely, they had already heard that there were so many spying on them, and they said it had been marihara So she ends up getting like they ended up following her. They would spy her. They would uh, spy on her mail. They would open her stuff. Like it became, she got too caught into the web with all these people. That any movement she did, there was always a reasoning behind it. She's a traitor. She's a traitor. She eventually. um uh, they wanted to prove so bad that she was this spy and that she was this bad woman, but there was really no evidence behind it. She ends up getting caught and she ends up going to trial after the 15,000 soldiers died and they needed a scapegoat because France really fucked up with that situation, but they needed a scapegoat. And they're like, what better than to blame on this one woman? And so she, um, she goes to court and she tells them, Hey, I might've been a hoe. But I ain't a spy and I ain't a traitor. So what's up? They don't give a fuck. They still um, hold her accountable for these deaths. Maihara was executed by a firing squad of 12 French soldiers just before dawn on October 15th, 1917. Um, she refused to be blindfolded, she wore, she got a custom made dress for that day. And she winked at her soldiers, and accounts the legend says that she winked at her soldiers and blew a kiss as they executed her. So, that is the fabulous, extraordinary life of Marihara, the spy who was never a spy. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, I'm. I'm li-
1: literally speechless because, I mean, aside from her marriage and, and you know, her children passing away, um, her life sounds so fabulous. Like, I'm right. sorry, but if somebody were to tell me move to France right now become an exotic dancer and get paid for it like you yeah, sign me up
0: <laughs> sign me up oh you wanted me to be a spy yeah I'll take your twenty thousand dollars I don't care yeah I'll do this for you and then just go live my life as I've always done oh yeah I, I really like that she there there were a lot of reports and accounts um they ended up like digging a bunch of letters and stuff that she would write during her time in in France. And a lot of it was money towards her kid. Like, yes, my kid isn't better off the type of lifestyle that I'm living today. I'm hustling, but my kid is being taken care of. Right. So she was taking, she was holding her own there and then just fucking shit up. Right. Like making world wars happen, (laughs) but poor baby gets, you know, you get, you get tangled into that web with men and they're just looking for a scapegoat. And that's truly what she ended up being. Just a So
1: what's up with like needing 12 soldiers for a firing squad for one woman? Like, oh is your fragile masculinity that much? That what? Like, I'm sorry, but that's, that's 12 soldiers too many. Like, how scared can you be of this one woman? <laughs> that's, that's the no. power. That's the power of Vested Best. That's what I tell you.
0: Yeah, yeah. that is yeah (laughs) i mean
1: is there any other way to summarize it
0: no no just men are trash i think i say this i'm starting a drinking game guys every time i say fuckery which i don't think i did tonight so you guys are sober um but men are trash those are my two quotes (laughs) yeah
1: so the game going forward and before carmen gets all self-conscious again (laughs) is anytime uh she says fuck we both cuss uh but we noticed her favorite her favorite cuss word is is fuck mine is variety in english and spanish it's rainbow of bad words um every time carmen says fuck take a shot as long as you're not driving and um if you're at work no one can see you i'm just saying
0: (laughs) just vodka be smart about it vodka and put it in your yeti and no one will have to know
1: so yes but before we get going um tell me one good thing one good thing that happened to you in this last week
0: um somebody grabs one of my pictures from halloween with me my kid and my boyfriend we were dressed as ghostbusters the three of us and um my employee ends up editing that picture and he puts uh, on our because we had little ghostbuster blasters and he edits the picture where like little spark lights come out so that was really dope i thought that was really awesome so that was I, a saw, good. I saw that picture it was flipping adorable it's like your little ghostbuster trio i was like who are you gonna call <laughs> that was like my favorite moment this week what about yours
1: For me, my favorite uh, moment was I got to see two of my cousins that it's very hard for us to um, get together nowadays because we all live in separate cities. You know, we're all moms. We all have our lives going on. And uh, and we finally got together, had a girls weekend and it was awesome. Like I just had a blast with my cousins. I nonstop laughter and I really needed that in my life. So it was really nice.
0: Mm-hmm. now you're hung over for an entire week of people so for like an entire six months this is
1: I don't, I don't know how i'm gonna get through thanksgiving and christmas
0: and cousins it's not you it's her she is the issue your presence was appreciated but you guys are
1: perfect you guys are perfect it's me it's always me
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome though Now family time is the best time i love it i don't care how much we hate each other and how much we talk shit about each other but you yeah. know
1: me too it's great la familia la familia forever and ever and i feel to summarize our stories today is we have like una mamacita fregona chingona cubana that um although she was born and raised in a slaveholding family she realized the value of being free and otra mamacita chingona otra mamazota. (laughs) <laughs> she probably was. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, where was she from? The Netherlands that uh, went to France and, you know, danced it around Germany, France and
0: caused and... wars. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's that's the only way to live your life absolutely absolutely well friends if you guys have suggestions stories women that you would like to hear um please send your suggestions over to our instagram handle our twitter handle um not your poppies podcast or on twitter not your poppies pod let us know
1: yes and remember well-behaved women rarely make history